And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. What's up, hustlers? Welcome back. This is Andrew Morgans, your host for today's episode of Startup Hustle, covering all things e-commerce, Amazon, entrepreneurship. Um, I'm really excited about today's guest. We're going to dig into some fun stuff. Uh, before I do, I'd love to give a shout out to today's sponsor for our episode, Fullscale.io, helping you build software teams quickly and affordably. Um, today's guest is is coming from New York, but I think by by proxy from France. We're going to get into some of that and some of his story. But um, before I do that, he he's a founder of um, Agora Services and Arcady Lapiro. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Andre, for having me. Yes, sir. Um, you know, I love getting started. Like, like I mentioned before, just, I love getting started, getting to know a little bit about you before we just jump into Agora and, and what you guys do. I'd love to know just kind of as the founder, um, you know, how you found entrepreneurship, uh, how you found like this need that you, you believe banking needed these services. And, um, let's start at the beginning or as far back as you want to go. Like, you know, did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur uh, or a founder from from when you were young, or was it something you kind of fell into? That's a that's a funny thing because um, recently my my mom uh, told me that, that kind of of joke of my personal story. So uh, I'm here for in New York for over a decade. I moved here for for my lovely wife. I hope she's not going to listen to this uh, podcast. Um, I went to uh, university, I learned law, um, and uh, I was destined to be a lawyer. And then suddenly I, I dropped everything and I joined, that was two decades ago, a startup, which was today we called Changer Bank. So it was a Changer Bank in Europe. So I joined it from scratch, uh, very young, and, and I started my career uh, into this field. And I joined the management, I was one of the funding partners. So, and, and the joke is, since then, I'm in the finance. and. My mom told me, I was 26 years old at that time, she told me, can you realize when you were six years old, uh, I was taking you to a branch and you would tell me that one day you, will, you want to become a banker. And I went to the financial services. So I didn't know that I wanted to be in this field. Uh, I discovered it. Uh, I was not, uh, I didn't go to the academic to do this. I just learned everything from scratch. And it's kind of fun since then. I love that. Okay, so you started out... Um... You know, you started out at a startup bank, I guess, at least in, in Europe. Um, what, what happened there? You started from the ground up. You're a manager. You just started building, uh, you know, start building a bank with no experience. Like kind of tell me, I guess, back up a little bit. Tell me about that experience. Like, what was it like, um, you know, coming into something now with a lot of experience and being like, OK, I'm going to I'm going to create this. I think as a founder, like starting something from scratch is, is one of the hardest things that we do. Um, what was that like being part of a startup? Uh, that, was, that was really amazing. It was like a, you can make a, a TV show, a movie. So just to give you an idea, it's like you're 26 years old. You just finished a law firm. You're joining a startup, which is launching a digital bank today. Today, you will call it Chime, for example. Uh, you're joining the management. Uh, you're one of the first employees joining the management. And you, you are covering, uh, I, had obvious, I had compliance, legal, risk, uh responsible also co-responsible for the business development everything at 26 28 years old at the same time you have a internet bubble uh you have a 9-11 happening uh, you have a, a subprime crisis uh, you have a, all the world financial world at that time collapsing and we did it and uh, we grew and we were we were a bank a digital bank but we were also a member of the stock market and we were one of the biggest at that time player on what is called the margin account. That means like uh, you put $1, you can play until $5, like uh, like you play on the market. So that's why we were, not us, it was our client, but uh, we were providing a service. And um, it was fun. It was fun down the road. It's like a, uh, um, there's a good word from a 
European philosopher, Nietzsche, which is saying, what is not killing you makes you stronger. I think I went through mm -hmm. it. I can, I can uh, relate to that. You know, I think I started my business um, when I was 25. Uh, you know, I'm 34 now. So um, I wasn't joining a team at that time. I've built the team. Uh, so I think it's a little bit different and, and probably a lot slower build for me than you coming in. Um, you guys talk about being on the stock market. Like, did you guys IPO originally? Like, did you join when they had already IPO'd, if, if that's the right term? Um, you know, for being a publicly traded company or no. it, it was something that happened after, after you joined? So we, I, we created the company from, from scratch. Uh, it was a, a, a startup. By the way, the company today still exists 21 years after with the same name. So what happened? It's uh, we grew, we developed a B2B business. We had direct to consumer client, like an online bank also. Uh, we expand abroad in Europe. We bought during uh, all this m a period, like uh, six companies. Uh, and we went under an IPO process, going to introduction to the stock market in Europe. And uh, two weeks before IPO, one of the biggest European bank just bought us. So that was, oh, wow. <laughs> so that was, um, it was, it was a, it was a show, a uh, good ride. Um, after that, I stayed uh, to secure the merger. I was one of the guy I locked to secure the merger of our entire group. Just to give you an idea, we had a, uh, in our books of uh, $60, $60 billion asset. We grew very fast in eight, six years. So I stayed to secure the merger of uh, two companies into the bank. And then I just uh, decided to resign and to, to move on. Okay. I love that. I, I, I guess I'm asking a little bit selfishly because um, if you know anything about the e-commerce space right now or some of the aggregators that are happening even across mm. Europe, there's a lot of European aggregators as well. Um, they're looking to e-commerce businesses, Amazon businesses and, uh, Amazon agencies, like, uh, you know, just with wide eyes and, and trying to acquire everything in sight and, you know, promising IPOs and let's roll them all up and, you know, join this biggest agency, join this thing. And, um, you know, to me, it kind of thinks about, you know, the thought of an IPO is exciting and, and being part of that or building something that's big enough to IPO to the public is, is exciting to me. Um. But I also like being in charge of my own destiny and, you know, just building the ship slow and steady works for me too. Um, you know, I feel like you had like an amazing ride early. So let's get to the good stuff. You had an amazing ride early. You kind of saw a company go from startup to as big as it gets almost, um, you know, one of the biggest European banks. Um, and then you left after you saw a successful, it felt probably like a good finish, you know, by merging the, the banks or the two acquisitions. Um, <clears throat> And you're like, okay, I, I've made some money or I've, I've learned. I want to be done, you know, here, I guess it's not a startup anymore. Did you like, uh, you know, did you take a break for a while or sabbatical or was it something that you just jumped right back into working? Um, you know, what'd you do after that? No, after that, uh, it's like I took, uh, I resigned. I took, a, indeed, I took a sabbatical break uh, here in New York. That's how I met my wife, by the way. So that's a, that's a funny joke. And then I moved here in New York. So I'm here for the last 10 years. Uh, all these years, uh, I was a mentor, advisor of several U.S., Canadian, Israeli fintech. Uh, so financial technology firm, which is the big buzz right now. And uh, Agora is a fintech, by the way. And uh, also, uh, I, I was and I'm still a senior advisor of a very, even if I'm in New York, a very large private equity firm in Europe okay. and, they, and they invest only on financial services and uh, they have also a fintech fund, uh, fund and uh, on this fund, uh, I'm a venture partner. So even if I'm in New York and they do just Europe. So I, I didn't break uh, from my previous life. I'm still very connected. So, um, uh, but now I decided to jump back like two years and a half ago to jump back again in the entrepreneurial world, a very similar story to what we did two decades ago. Well, welcome back. I think, uh, welcome back to entrepreneurship. Um, you know, I'm doing a little bit of the same, I think probably just a younger version of maybe some of the path that you took. Um, so for me, it's, it's learning everything the first time. And, and I have a feeling that if I, even if I got out of what I'm doing now, I would find my way back to it. Um, you know, so it's like, uh, why even leave if I know I'll be back. Um, but you know, it's a lot of the VCs and private equity firms that, um, Basically, there's a company called Thrasio uh, that that um, did it first, maybe two years ago. 
started raising money to buy e-commerce brands, profitable e-commerce brands and, and roll them up um, into that aggregator model. Uh, it's the first time that I feel like national or global money uh, from, from that kind of standpoint is uh, ever take e-commerce very, very seriously uh, outside of tech. So, you know, tech has been fintech or, um, uh, you know, software as a service has been had a lot of focus for a long time, um, but not necessarily the e-commerce like direct to consumer um, type of business model. So Thrasio did it first. And I think there's been about 70 aggregators that have popped up since then. Um, so I'm doing my best in the M&A world and the financial world. Um, to kind of learn as I go as fast as possible. You know, we, we started the show talking about, or before the show, we were talking about my trip to Miami and the Amazon conference. That's a big part uh, of what I'm doing right now is just understanding the players. You know, my competitors are going away. They're getting bought. Uh, they're getting rolled up. There's not a lot of thought leaders in my space. So uh, picking your brain a little bit for free as we go, so to speak, and just understand, uh, you know, kind of how that world works. Like I think Germany and um Germany and UK might have two of the biggest uh, so far that are, that are out there right now. So it's definitely coming from your side of the pond, um, so to speak. Okay, so back on track, talking about um, you're like, I want to get back into the entrepreneur world. Did you feel like there was a need uh, based on everything you've been learning and who you're talking to? And you just felt like there was a need for Agora? Um in the space that hadn't been been met yet. Is that really like what caused you to, I mean, take the leap back into entrepreneurship? Was was it just that, you you know, you, you wanted to solve that? Or was did someone loop you in and say, hey, I need you to run this, you know, build this thing? Like, what was the motivation, I guess, behind, um, you know, launching again? So there were two parts. One, it was a personal feeling by saying, I want to get back into this field because I was advising all these years of a fintech. And at the same time, I was approached by a, a, a European, um, let's call it changer bank. So Chime is a changer bank, uh, uh, you, you know, Chime, Vavo, all of that. So there was a small European changer bank that that belonged to a very large. Can you tell, I'm sorry, not to interrupt, but can you tell me what a changer bank is? A changer bank. So today, so you know, a credit union, you know, what is a community bank on one side. On the other side, you have a Chase, a Bank of America, Wells Fargo. And seven years ago, started a new wave of, they're not really a bank. They're more like software platform or marketing platform. And they work with bank behind the scene, which is providing their bank charter and they leverage it. And they provide an online service for free to customers. So the number one uh, in the US is Chime. I'm sure you know Square. Square for the payment side, they started with a a physical point of sale. So Square expanded to... uh, a wallet, cash app, and now they're going mainstream okay. with, a, with a online banking. So what is a changer bank? It's a new generation of a, a provider of financial services, which are not licensed as a bank. They work with a bank on the background, and uh, they, they try to, to take over the, uh, the clients, uh, the clients which are retail customers, SMB business, and uh, they're getting a lot of traction. So if you take a look at, uh, for example, Chime, uh, which is the number one in the U.S. They they say they claim that they have sixteen one six million users, which is huge. Uh, on the on the other side, uh, uh, Chase may have like maybe thirty or thirty five million. And uh, okay. when you, when you take a look at the reality of the business as of today, uh, Chase is uh, like almost like two trillion two trillion dollars asset. When the other one, Chime, maybe has a six, seven billion dollar deposit. So, what is a change of bank? It's a it's a technical or it's a marketing entity which is a, a partnering with a financial provider and providing a digital experience for mostly for free. Uh, and valuation are just booming. So, Chime is the number one. On the other side of the spectrum. Uh, you know, Square, there's other players like Brex uh, for SMB, small, medium business and startup account. Uh, and you have many players. You have another one which is targeting only the kids, like Teen Account. It's Greenlight. You may have heard about them. Um, if you have kids which are turning eight, nine years old, I'm sure they, they, they may have mentioned it to you. 
Um, so it's just it's just a, a new generation of banking providers. That is a change of banking. Got it. I, thank you so much for that because I don't think a lot of our listeners would know what that was, and you just went quick. But I think it's good to know kind of you know what the difference is. Tell me if I'm wrong in comparing here, but do you know of like Postmates or Uber Eats or any of these apps that like connect restaurants to them so you can buy from them? Mm-hmm. You know, being in the e-commerce space, like in the pandemic that happened, I felt like, oh my gosh, I was like, you know, most of these restaurants would, would have gone away if there wasn't Postmates or Uber Eats or something like that that brought them into the 21st century uh, and made them accessible for everyone, you know, right from their phones. Um, so not not comparing them to something as, something as simple as that, but essentially like that's the front for all of the restaurants behind it uh, as a way to, to order and communicate with them. So um, somewhat, somewhat similar in that regard, except it's on the banking side. Sorry. Would you say that that's somewhat similar in regards to um, instead of the bank changing, you know, everything to be able to do that, the banks are then taking something like like uh, a changer bank in, in front of them to like make them more accessible to, let's say, kids, if you're green light or to different people like that. Is it bringing up the, leveling up their technology, so to speak? Yeah. So all this is it. Why wouldn't a Chase Bank just just uh, I guess innovate and in regards to like adding those types of things to the way that they they bank now? So it's something you would be very similar to when you spoke about Amazon. Amazon was built from scratch, so they have a new technology and they're very cloud based. So now go to all these banks. I'm talking about the the banks which are here like for 50, 80 years old. Uh, they have uh, different layers of technology. And everything is like uh, is on premise. It's not cloud. Uh, different different kind of languages, and and they still have employees which are using COBOL language. I'm sure you know what is COBOL language. You see your reaction. I'm sure that most of your listeners won't understand. But COBOL was an IT program uh, written like 40 years ago, and today mm. they're still they're still looking to recruit engineers to write in COBOL languages. And these engineers are super well paid. So just to get an idea about yeah. what is called legacy. So all these banks, they have layers of technology. So it's always hard to add something on top of that. So just Got to it. do a website, a, 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 just a front end, a marketing front end, this is easy. But when you need to do like time decisioning in real time to open an account, when you need to issue, for example, a virtual account, when you need in real time to create sub accounts, or when you need to do like, a, I don't know, any kind of thing, you see that right away the technology is a hurdle. The bigger you are, there's, there's two parts. The bigger you are in an institution, the most complicated it is because you have tons of legacy, but you have the money. So the, the big one, uh, Bank of America, City, Wells Fargo, they're moving fast now and they're spending a lot of money, but still it will take time, but they're moving fast because they have the money. On the other side of the spectrum, you have all these credit union committee banks, which are small medium, but they don't have a, the digital resource. They don't have the infinite budget than the big one has. And even now, this fintech, this changer bank, they are funded funded or fueled, whatever you, name you want to uh, subsidize, whatever name you want to use by VCs, like almost in, in okay. limited money. And they can move from, from scratch because they're starting with a clean sheet. So the complicated thing is not like... Um, if you have a technology day one, can you build it? Of course, you can build it. When you mention Uber, etc., they built from a clean sheet, so it was kind of easy, and they were already with the newest generation of on phone. I'm not talking about a 1G, 2G, or even 3G. We were talking about 4G and 5G coming. So you see that everything makes life easier. Yes, sir. That thank you. That really cleared it up for me in kind of just understanding. Um, you know, the difference between them and what, and the need for it on my side, it's not, um, as an e-commerce consultant, uh, an agency owner, um, you know, we work with like Payoneer and ping pong payments, which is a version I think of like currency exchange. Uh, but it's like, honestly, like a bank account as well that you sign up for as a seller or a, or a brand, you get, you get a bank account there and it helps you exchange currencies and things like that. It's probably a very simple version of that. Um, that one thing that they do. Okay, so thank you for the the side note. I just wanted to get some of the details so I can really understand, and I think our listeners can probably understand a little bit better now as well. 
let's go into, um, you know, you see, you see the need you want to create, you're in the space, you've been a consultant for a while. You're like, okay, I'm tired of telling other people how to do this. I want to get back in there and get my hands dirty, so to speak. Um, and, and so, you know, you, you launched, you launched this company. What was your initial goal starting out? Um, you know, wh who are you looking to service? Like, what was your real, your real focus initially? So when I launched Agora, I was looking at the market. So on one side, you had this fintech, let's call this B2C fintech, this changer bank or other players that are, were providing not banking services, but financial services. So there was this fintech. On the other side of the spectrum, you had all these banks and financial institutions, which were, I'm not talking about Chase, but I'm talking about the tier two and below, uh, the medium one to the small one, which represent 8,000 financial institutions. So one side okay. of the fintech, how many fintechs can be created each year and how many are going to survive in the next five years? Because it's a, it's a startup. On the other side, there was a tremendous, huge market, which were just tied to the legacy core provider, that means their banking software provider. Uh, the big names are, it's called uh, FIS, Fiserv, Jack Henry. That's the three big one. And they're good, but they will always be slow to move versus uh, the fintech. So I found, and, and on the other side, their clients, their, their clients, which are banks and creation, they need to move fast because they cannot wait uh, to see what's going to happen on the market. If you just take a look, uh, when Chime started like uh, uh, six years ago, zero client, of course, and now they're gaining like two to four million customers each year. It's, wow. it's an acceleration. Another one, which is the number two, which his name is Current. Uh, three years ago, they had one million client. Last year, they had two, and now they're reaching three. And next year, they're supposed to be by four, which is a fast track acceleration. So, and 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 we like the same thing. Within three years, they gain. 4 million users, 4. They, they include the parents, include wow. the users. Still, just to get an idea. So the banks, they cannot wait. But when they talk to the legacy provider, it's not the same time. They're not startups. So they will tell them, you, we can deliver you a feature, not a product, but a feature. It will take you 12 months, 16 months. And they won't treat them the same way they treat the big clients, Chase and the others. So that's why I, I found a need. And the need was... Would I go to these banks and creation by telling them, ditch your legacy core provider, basically ditch your back office software, your banking accounting software for your client? No. And some players start, try to do that and it's not working. And when I'm saying that, this is what I did two decades ago. We built one of these new players, which were going to financial institution and replacing the back office software, the, 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 the accounting back office software. I did that. And that's the company I grew to 60 billion. And, but the thing, it's like, it was a different mindset. Today, uh, these banks, they don't have the time to switch. They don't want to take the, the, the risk, the time, uh, the energy to switch. And that's how I came with the concept of modular banking, which is telling them pretty easy, stay where you are. This is what these new players are doing. I have this kind of technology. We developed it and uh, we can provide it to you on top of your software. That means you stay where you are. There's no change. And on top of that, on the side, we can provide you uh, either complete branded product, like a, a, a on the shelf in a box, a changer bank, fully white label. And that's what we did. We launched uh, two white label uh, digital solution. One, it's called teenspower.club. And the other one, it's called ilovesmb.com. Um, I love smb.com. I love smb.com. And uh, that's one. Option two, we have a service where it's a la carte. They need onboarding. That means accepting new clients. They need to have uh, issue cards, plastic virtual with advanced card controls. Or they want to launch from scratch a complete spin-off, a new bank digital. We can do it from them. So what we did, we have developed the entire new platform, like a new entire platform. We have also created a marketplace. You're very familiar with it because you work with Amazon, with all this kind of marketplace. So I build that with other fintech. So I create like an ecosystem. Um, so we can do everything that we can even have a, a reward program. We are going to announce soon. Uh, you mentioned a currency. We're going to announce a, a FX wallet, a, a cryptocurrencies, etc., uh, uh, etc.
I so love that's, it. that's super exciting. No, that's that's super exciting. I mean, I'm very impressed. Not, not necessarily impressed, just like it's genius, you know. Uh, there's a big need for it. And I can see like, you know, as someone that um, fell into e-commerce, it wasn't something, you know, I actually started school for networking and security and worked at MasterCard Global uh, in the NOC. So, you know, financial transactions is where I started and, and monitoring networks in Brazil and Bank of America. I monitored all the banks. Uh, you know, if their networks went down, it was me uh, calling them up. And I was honestly so bored in that knock that I was like, I have to go make something. I have to create something. Uh, and that's how I found e-commerce. Um, but, you know, I've been in this space 10 years. I've been kind of pioneering the space in regards to um, getting legacy, so to speak, manufacturers or old school businesses. Some of them have been around 100 years, getting them to move into, you know, the 21st century and like, okay, this is how we're going to keep the business alive. Um, this is how you survive in the pandemic. This is like, you know, and for them, it's three years of work to get sometimes their warehouse, their accounting, everything changed because their systems are older and um, they're not set up for selling direct to consumers. They make big orders to Walmart, or big orders to Target or big orders like that um, versus these one off to customers here and there. How do you get people, you know, you're doing one transaction versus massive transactions. And it's a big uh it's a big conversation and a lot of education. And, um, you know, it started out just doing, let me do the a la carte pieces, uh, you know, of what they need and let's bolt this on, let's bolt this on to, then it started being, we can create you a new bank from scratch, uh, you know, kind of thing, uh, or, or a new, um, sometimes manufacturers were creating brands, uh, to go direct themselves without, you know, upsetting their existing customers with a product line that, you know, they have distributors and everything else. So, there's a lot of uh, parallel, I think, in regards to those conversations. And I can just respect uh, the model you built to be able to solve for those um, hesitations by the banks that need to evolve. They need to grow. They need to change. They need to innovate. Um, but it becomes a massive undertaking to do. And how do you solve for that? So, you know, I, I think I started out before we got on um, on the podcast saying, you know, I, I've got some experience with trying to go to a more current bank. I, I had a, um, a small business bank in Kansas City uh, that I like going to. I liked the staff. I liked, you know, the, the local, um, just the local bank feel, you know, versus the big bank where I don't matter. And, uh, but as I started growing and scaling their, um, their online banking, they're like, you know, being able to send wires internationally or domestically or uh, currency exchange or all of those features that, you know, modern day makes super easy that the bank just didn't have. And for me, as someone trying to grow and be in the cloud and be able to work from anywhere in the world and, and not have to slow down, um, it was it was a must to find a bank that was um, more more related to my industry and, and how I'm doing my business. So it was a big need for me. It took me almost 18 months and I left that bank. You know, I, I'm not massive, but several million dollars from a small business moving just because your technology is antiquated. I think, you know, you multiply that by a bunch of versions of me and, you know, the banks could be struggling if they don't find a way to innovate and reach, you know, modern customers and modern business owners. So one, just, I think that's amazing. Um, you know, is it something that you're in New York? Uh, is it something localized here to the U S or is it something you're taking internationally? Like what's your play there? Is it, is it something you're trying to start in, in, in the U S and then expand? Uh, I know you, you, we said you're originally from France is Europe in your playbook. Is it already there? Um, you know, what's next? So we're US-based. Uh, the company is headquartered in Atlanta. Uh, funny when you mentioned you worked at Mastercard. So Agora is part of Mastercard fintech program, which is called Startpath. So Mastercard is choosing like the best fintech, and they bring in ours like uh, like to create an ecosystem. So we were chosen by them. Um, we were also chosen, selected by the ICBA, which represents the US Committee Bank. So. To answer your question, our focus is U.S. The market is so huge. Okay. Uh, so our focus is U.S. banks, credit union, committee banks. That, that was one. Uh, but we found out, when I say we found out, we were reached out uh, by fintech. So we were not targeting fintech. We can provide service to fintech, but we were not uh, targeting that because we thought that uh, uh, committee banks, credit union was enough. So, um, so 
we opened our, our here and uh, we decided to, to jump into uh, providing services to fintech. So we just announced this morning, there was a press release out that uh, we're going to power a new changer bank, which is launching, which name is Menta, mentamoney.com. Uh, so they're going to target the underbanked people that uh, have issues not to open uh, a checking account because there's a, there's a big myth. I'm talking about the U.S. by saying, oh, this underbank, it's so complicated to open a, 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 a checking account. It's true on one side, but on the other side, you have today so many options to open with this change of bank and, and, uh, and other institution. So the, re- the real issue for this underbank is, of course, to open an account but to have access to loan credit. And this is what this change of bank is going to do. And we're going, and it's, I think the only one I checked and didn't see, I see, I saw other change of bank targeting, not going to give any name, but targeting, basing under bank. Uh, but what they do is uh, what I call vanilla plain checking account. That means just checking account, some, it's like giving a- It's a, not a, helping a, you build credit. Exactly, but it, it's, it's not what they need. So. So we announced that this morning. So we're going to power them. Other fintech um, knocking at our door. Uh, we're also very opportunistic uh, when uh, it's not us going. It's like we are called. So uh, we're going to power um, one of the largest conglomerate in the Middle East. So it's a very large institution. And um, they want to launch something very similar to our business in the US. They want to launch locally. It's a very big group. I'm not going to give any name, but it's, it's very big. Um, and uh, they have an industry in oil, in uh, resort, uh, financial services, uh, retail, shopping, media, they're, they're doing everything. So we're going to power them. Um, we're also in discussion with few entities in uh, LATAM and in uh, Africa, uh, not in the country, okay. that, not the country that you know well, <laughs> another one, a big one. And uh, But this is mostly, we're going to be like, following other people. That means we're going to provide our technology. Our focus is the US. That's in the US. That's where we're trying to be smart by creating new product. Like I mentioned, we create ourselves two digital bank targeting the teen and the SMB and we just white label it. So we we create even product that no one else has. Uh, when I'm talking about product, like features product that no one else. And, and, and why and how did we create? Why? Because uh, we in the team, myself and others, we have the knowledge. We built two decades ago uh, some uh, some great products, and uh, and so we know where the the way the industry is working and how to make it. And two, we have a technology. And, and, and just to tell you the funny thing, uh, I'm sure your your listener they know they heard about Greenlight because it's mass market today. Uh, Chime, they know that. So. When I say we're launching a teen account and a small medium business account, so today it's very popular with uh, these new players. Two decades ago, when uh, we built the online bank in Europe, our main shareholder was Aviva, the number one UK life insurance company. It's like mass mutual here in the US. Uh, so they were they were my shareholder. Two decades ago, I created for them a brokerage account for teenagers, a brokerage account for freelancers, and a third kind of brokerage account for senior elderly people and this is what we're going to launch next year a digital bank for elderly people with special features so it's brand new in the us when you take a look at green light no one is talking about the senior people but i did that already two decades ago uh, with success and i'm just doing it again uh just with a new technology i love that and you humbly didn't mention but you said you're from atlanta but you're one of the top atlanta startup companies obviously so just hearing about what you guys are doing but i wanted to let our listeners know that we're talking to uh, the founder of one of the top startups in atlanta um and i love the i love the model of um innovating in the us and then just where can we go you know in the rest of the world and maybe be slightly behind a first mover but still take great advantage of it just because you're not an innovator doesn't mean that you can't go there and do it just as good or better um so i think that's really that's a really interesting strategy as well just one comment when you mention for example europe we're not going to europe because uh, uh one europe they have very advanced technology so my technology can match similar players in Europe. Our technology here in the US, we have a hedge because, uh, uh, but technology in Europe is very advanced compared to the US. It's, it's okay. kind of funny to say that, but two decades ago when I was, 
even if I'm originally from uh, from uh, Europe, uh, my family was American. My grandma immigrated in this country 60 years ago. Um, yeah, 60 years ago. And um, uh, <laughs> so I spent all my time, my summer camp uh, here in, in New York, in New York, up, up, upstate. Uh, so when I was coming here as a kid, uh, and until there was a switch until the end of the 90s, it was wow. The financial services, the technology was wow. And something happened at the end of 2000. Uh, sorry, end of uh, the 90s. Okay. And then Europe just accelerated. And uh, when I'm saying that, it's like if you take the roadmap about the technology, so Europe is... V- so I'm sure you've noticed on your card you have a chip. This chip, you, you see the chip on the card, right? On your debit card, there's a yeah. chip. Yeah. So this chip, this chip was kind of, I think, launched in the US three, three years ago. And it was it, it, it became mass market, but three years ago, it didn't exist before. And this technology provides more security. This existed already in Europe two decades ago. I'm giving an example. There's much more. So what I'm saying, it's like there's a lot of things happening in Europe ahead of the US, and there's even more things happening in China. And so China is very ahead of us. So when I'm saying that, it's like my focus is US. We have a technology for it. Time is, is on our side. Uh, LATAM is a good way to go Middle East because it's very related to uh, to, to the US. Uh, Europe is complicated. That's why you don't have a lot of financial, pure financial company uh, going into um, going into Europe. Well, that's, that's super exciting. Um, before I go into this last part, because I got a couple of great questions and feedback. Once again, shout out to our sponsor, FullScale.io, helping you build software teams quickly and affordably. Um, you know, if you're developing software, FullScale is a great place to start to to find some great talent. Um, you know, I did the 23andMe test, Arcady, um, where I am 99.9% European. So I think I come from Europe as well, uh, American mutt, but um, somewhere in the lineage, you know, um, it's funny as an American, um, you know, that travels, I'm like, wow, I, I, you know, where do you fit in? I grew up in Africa. Um, you know, parts of Europe may feel like home. Other parts feel like a, a foreign place, just kind of depending where you are. Um, but as someone that's gone back and forth, it has been interesting to see what parts of the world are more evolved. You know, you think you're kind of just like marketed that the U S is, is ahead of the rest when you, when you live here, but you know, you travel abroad. And you see different things. I think I can really relate to, um, you know, Kansas City is a city that I've decided to make my home. It's where it's where my grandparents are from. Um, but it's a city where I see a lot happening in the other parts of even the U.S., much less the rest of the world. And, you know, Kansas City, while we're innovative in a lot of ways, we can be behind in other ways. Like, have we got that restaurant yet? Have we started getting this? Have we started getting that? Um, and it's one where you can just bring a, a pre-existing idea that's doing really well somewhere else and bring it here and be first and, and really, really lead the pack. Um, so that's, that's interesting. And, and I would wonder um, almost if, you know, the U.S. being so big versus, you know, Europe um, countries and Europe being, you know, quite a bit smaller, potentially being faster to move uh, and being able to get their government or uh, financial institutions to, well, one, Europe has been the financial, um, you know, they've had financial services as, you know, as far back in history as we go versus versus the U.S. and having those roots. Um, I would just be interested kind of in that in that history of um, specific sectors that uh, that have done quite well or like what held them up in the U.S. versus um, Europe. It's all very just fascinating to me, I think, um, when you see areas that we're excelling and areas where where we're not. Uh, that's very interesting because what you just said it's like matches uh, the, Europe, the 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 US way of seeing Europe and uh, the reality is different. When I'm going to focus just on financial services, so here in the US, yeah, please do. Fifty states, everybody knows fifty states, but you can have like fifty regulations locally. Money transmitter is different. Bank charter can be local. Uh, there's always like there's local local law. And, and so people will think the same way about Europe with uh, uh, with uh, all these states states in Europe. The reality is with uh, the financial services, and uh, I'm going to exclude the UK because of the Brexit, the recent Brexit. But until last year, all Europe was one kind of there was local financial regulation, but which had to abide to European financial regulation. 
So that's that's why two decades ago, Europe accelerated in uh, in terms of financial services because of deregulation and opening by the European bodies. And when I say that, it's okay. like you get, you can get your license in one country and you just go to any country in Europe and you can do the same thing under the same license. So UK was the same thing until uh, last year before they did no Brexit. So basically, if you take a look at that, Europe in terms of size, it's smaller than the US. Population is equal and you don't need to have uh, like 50 license potentially. Uh, and uh, and uh, of course, languages are different, but legally speaking, it's easy to, to export. And the distance is not as huge and the infrastructure is way more advanced than here. So you see that suddenly hmm. everything like, Wow, it looks it looks easier. It looks easier. The only difference is, of course, the uh, the different languages. But it's like uh, it, it, the restriction is not that here. So here there's one market, uh, there's one currency, like in Europe, but there's one language. Uh, but the distance, so in distance, infrastructure, different kind of regulation. You see that uh, it, it makes life complicated. Um, so there were there are many more things in Europe about regulation, about uh, financial services. Uh, center of innovation, but it, that's why Europe got a certain of lip. And and f- funny word, it's like uh, among this galaxy of changer bank, uh, three of the biggest European changer bank are trying to get in right now in the US. So they launched two years ago. So one of them is a German entity. It's called N26. The other one is a UK one. It's called uh, uh, Monso. And the third one today, it's UK slash uh, uh, it's UK, but it's also they have a license in Lithuania, which is close to Russia. For those who cannot situate Lithuania on the map, uh, and it's called Revolut. And this one, the third one today, has over 17 million users around the world, and is wow. valued. And it was created seven years ago, and is valued over 30 to 0, 30 billion dollars uh, before an IPO. That's incredible. Um, I, you know, to put it in context, any of my listeners, because we have a lot of e-commerce, you know, listeners, I think that turn, tune into my show. I was talking about Thrasio as an aggregator um, that that, you know, there's speculation that it's valued at, at close to two billion before its IPO, which would be insane for my industry. Uh, and you just talked about one. I think you said 30 billion uh, before IPO. Is that what you said? Was I right? Three O or something, something similar. Um, which is just to put it in perspective about the size of business that we're talking about. Um, you know, it's just hard to touch. Um, we're running up on time, but I, I wanted to really kind I, of I, I run one thing just, by you. I just want you, yeah. you're, going, you're going to laugh because when you're talking about valuation, uh, especially in the fintech valuation, are just becoming insane, and it's it's driven uh, because of a of the VC. And not to give any name, but there was a in the next week or so there will be a big changer bank in Europe. Uh, which is in the small medium business. Uh, a year ago, they did a round at uh, 800 million valuation, 800 million, 800 million dollars. Um, now they, they, they were looking to do a new round of 3 billion, and a US uh, private equity just came by saying, I want it. And they bid, they're going to invest, invest at a $4 billion valuation. And this is in one year growth. So just to tell you, of That's course, there's insane. natural growth. Of course, there's natural growth, but there's like there's a pressure from VC private equity to put the money to pump money, and that's just it's, it's happening the same in, in my space in a smaller way. But it's it's in it for us. It's the most aggressive move we've ever seen from VCs and private equity, just pumping three. You know, they're three hundred million, five hundred million. Um, you know, into into those aggregators or even the software companies um, that, you know, as this is a bootstrapped, like, you know, it's been an organic growing industry, the agency world of what I do. Um, and then, you know, in the last 18 months to have, uh, you know, 500 million, uh, I think it was, you know, just from one aggregator pumped into the space, whether it's advertising dollars, marketing dollars, whether it's like, um, you know, personnel, staff, poaching people. Uh, there's a huge, huge push to, to make these businesses profitable and really grow them and uh, multiples, uh, you know, 11x uh, uh, that's never heard of, you know, when the standard is two or three. 
Um, so, you know, it's got my head whirling and trying to make sense of it all. And, and everyone in the space is really, really there. Um, I wanted to leave our listeners. I need to pick your brain one more time on this, or at least put it in your brain. Um, so you talked about, you know, expansion to Latin America and Africa and Middle East and different things like that, or, or things you're doing to move into those markets. One thing we're talking about on the e-commerce side to kind of blend the two markets is, um, a lot of sourcing of products and manufacturing is moving into uh, Latin America. Um, you know, for all of the logistical issues we're having in the U.S. W- with uh, shipping from China, you know, we've got 65 billion in boats sitting outside the country of, of goods as we go into Q4. This is my biggest time of year as an agency owner for the last seven years is, you know, we've got 40 or 50 brands. We're managing their Q4 sales. Um, you know, it's huge. And we've got 65 billion in boats. It's a huge, huge problem. That's really a problem from last year. And it will continue to be. Uh, as, as the money moves to, to Latin America, I think it's very exciting to understand, you know, sure, I think a lot of ma- uh, a lot of sellers, a lot of brands will, will pay a dollar more uh, per good or things like that. Prices can be higher than China in exchange for having them be able to um, travel over land or, or a shorter distance without having to come in the ports. Uh, and I think that just a lot of money uh, will be moving uh, their manufacturing to Latin America, depending on the industry. Um, and I would I would expect to see a fintech or or financial services, you know, whether it's Brazil, Brazil is a big, a big thing on my mind, uh, expanding sellers to Brazil and the economy boom there. I think Brazil is going to, uh, you know, emerge as one of the biggest countries uh, economically in regards to manufacturing and things in the in the next five. Um, as far as out of nowhere, just really, 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 um, really growing fast as all of these brands move their their production. Um, to me, that's just very exciting. I don't know exactly what it's going to be because I haven't seen that model yet and I don't know all the answers, but I think that there's just going to be a shift uh, away from China in some ways. What's your thoughts on that? You know, is it something, do you do you agree in part? Is it something new to you? Is it something you're seeing already on that side of, of things on the financial side? No, it's not new for me. When I say that, it's like, there's, I love geopolitic, geopolitic and uh, economic. Uh, I'm not talking about finance. I love it. And 10 years ago, uh, I even wrote about it by saying there's going to be a clash, future clash coming with China, and uh, they're going to be uh, bringing back the industry. So the, the last president he initiated it uh, by putting a huge pressure on China, but it's already started. Like uh, a lot of business are getting out from China because even on the on the employee side, there's a crunch of, of uh, work, 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 uh, workers in China. And so there was already like a industry like Adidas relocate the, the shoes they relocate in Vietnam. Uh, some of them moved to Turkey. Uh, so there was a lot of move already, like not just logistic, but the industry. The logistic is the last piece because of what happened with the COVID and uh, the, the issue on the shopping, uh, shipping. Sorry. Um, but this is for me is going to accelerate. It's not just a question of one dollar, but there's a cost, but there's also the, the, sovereign, the sovereign risk. It's because like you, you're becoming too much dip. It's not just the economy dollar for dollar. It's just a bigger risk. So a lot of countries yeah. are thinking about it. Regarding, regarding Latin Brazil, it's already here. I think it's extremely exciting. And when, when you mentioned Brazil, for example, I mentioned the, the, yes, sir, UK, it is. the, UK, the UK Revolut. So there's an equivalent of, there's a changer bank in Brazil. It's called Nubank. And they were created like five, six years ago. They're going to do an IPO next year and their valuation is going to be 50 five zero billion dollars 50 you heard it guys that's why i wanted them to chime in because uh you know I, I don't have all of the information i just know what i'm seeing on the ground and you know across sellers everywhere across the entire marketplace uh worldwide logistics is the main the main problem, the main struggle, uh, not even pricing or inflation or all the things that go with it, but just logistical nightmare. I think they're going to have to move by necessity, um, you know, south. And, um, you know, some countries are going to see a a lot of growth. And and that also means opportunity. Sure, there's going to be, you know, struggles along the way. We're we're figuring it out. You know, for me in Brazil, uh, a shipping time, uh, they have one shipper, they have one uh, company that you can go in or out of Brazil with because they're the com- they're the company uh, logistically that has permission from Brazil to sell on Amazon things like that. 
shipping times can be 30 to 45 days. I got Amazon customers that are used to getting stuff in two days or three days, you know, so handling, you know, figuring these things out as we go, uh, Amazon, Mexico, you know, you name it as far as in my world. Um, it's just exciting to know, you know, for me with sellers, it's, it's an opportunity. It's a lever, you know, just like the aggregators, they buy a brand and they're like, okay, what are all the levers we can pull to, to really grow this brand and international expansion is, is a really big one. Um, you know, and look, and so for me, it's, uh, what does that look like? Where are they going? What countries offer the, the lowest barrier to entry to start selling and moving your businesses to, um, you know, startups are popping up, uh, all over the place. Even when I was in MasterCard, uh, 11, 12 years ago, um, you know, one of my biggest customers was, uh, you know, Brazil, the Brazilian banks and, and the network and economy booms they were having then that they, they would break all the time because of just too much traffic, too many transactions. So, um, yeah, it's just really exciting. I, I've loved this conversation. I, I honestly, I think I could talk to you all day about some of these things that you just see that I would never see on the other side. Um, but it's been an absolute pleasure. And, and honestly, I, I will be watching, um, your growth and, and where you guys go very, very closely. Yeah, no problem at all. Um, it's been an honor having you on the show. Once again, shout out to our sponsor, Fullscale.io, helping you build software teams quickly and affordably. Um, lucky to have a guest as one of the top artists, uh, top, top founders uh, in, in the Atlanta community. Um, absolutely doing massive things. We're lucky to have you here in the U.S. Um, I hope we stay connected and we'll talk very soon. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.